All right, let me introduce you to Sam Madison. Stand over here, Sam. Can you give him a round of applause of encouragement? I kind of pulled him out over there. I was, I was trying to find Charlie. You're supposed to sit over there. Where are you, Charlie? You're out there somewhere. You're way in the back, aren't you? Yeah, I was going to have you come up. I already talked to your mom, but I didn't ask for mom and dad's permission. Dad's in the back booth back there. He helps run our video stuff, and I don't see mom. Is she in the nursery? I don't know where she is. <laughs> well, I pulled him out from over there. Yes, she says he is. But anyway, uh, you know, today's about uh, bodybuilding, and I don't know if you know it or not, but I used to be a bodybuilder. You guys are skeptical, skeptical people. Would I lie to you? <laughs> Let's don't answer that, okay? Uh, but that was probably about 20 years ago. And uh, I worked for the DeSoto Police Department. I was one of their chaplains, a volunteer chaplain, actually, while I pastored the church. And, and uh, it was my privilege to serve with the DeSoto Police Department and went on a lot of rides with the guys and uh, did a lot of chaplaincy-type things in our community and became really much like family with the police department. And one of the captains invited me to go work out with him one day. And that was during the time when I was running about 60 miles a week. So I was virtually skin and bones. Believe it or not, I weighed 170 pounds uh, when I was 40 years old. And I was pretty thin and uh, did a lot of running. And so they decided they were going to beef me up. If I was going to be their chaplain and ride with them, they wanted me to have some muscles. So anyway, it took them. And so I learned a lot about bodybuilding during all of that. And I learned that there are multiple parts in your body and that you can work out certain qualities and certain sections and certain reps and all those kinds of things. And so I brought Sam up here to sort of illustrate something. So Sam has a smaller weight in his hand. And that weight is about what would you, what does it say right there, Sam? About five pounds. So could you curl that right there? How's that? Okay. Curl it like this, buddy, like this, okay? That's how you work your rep right here. So you work in this part of your body right here. You can do that. All right, let me have that. Now I want you to try it with that. Don't drop it, dude. We, I, we don't have insurance, okay? It's a little bit harder, isn't it? Yeah. How long do you think it would take you to move from this to that? Years, wouldn't it? Yeah, why is that? Because he's small, he's a child, and children are not supposed to be bodybuilders, really. Although I've seen some really odd people who, for some reason, want their children to be bodybuilders, but normal people in a normal place like Wichita, Kansas, and Emmanuel Baptist Church, uh, it would be ludicrous for us to think that Sam could be a bodybuilder and could, wait, could lift this 50-pound weight more than once if he could lift it at all. Why? Because he's a child. Now, if you hold on with me a minute, I want you to understand something as we sort of look at this illustration here. I'm not sure I could do that now. Let me try. I mean, I certainly can do that. <laughs> all right. I did it once. That's enough. <laughs> anyway, well, I need a chair. We have a doctor in the house, I know. He can come up and see if my... Anyway, the analogy is pretty clear that in bodybuilding, there's a difference between an adult and a child. And I could do enough reps at some point where I could actually lift that more than once. I could. Uh, I used to press about 310 at one time. Uh, all, they all disappeared, and they started to sack. But anyway, 
For us as believers, we were never intended to stay as children. We were intended to mature. We were intended to grow. We were intended to develop. And the Apostle Paul has some words for us today about growing up and becoming mature adults who reflect the image and the likeness of Christ. And so I want to talk about that this morning in Ephesians chapter 4. Thanks, Sam. Give me a... Thanks, dude. I asked him if he was afraid, and he said, no, I am. I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 4, and I want us to go to a passage beginning with verse 11, one that we've already dealt with, and I want you to stand with me for a minute. Let's stretch our legs and our hearts and our minds for just one more time in honor of God's word, and let's take a look at what the Apostle Paul has under divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he talks about spiritual development and spiritual maturity. We were never intended as individuals to be infants in our faith. But we were also never as a church designed by God to stay immature and stay infants. And the sad reality is I think there are many churches today who are still in their infancy, even though they may have large numbers and they may have certain things and qualities about them that people look at them and they're sort of in and awed about But there needs to come a time in which we as individuals and we corporate as a church move toward building the body of Christ. And individually we are to grow, but we are also to grow corporately to maturity. For the church is never going to grow beyond the individual development of those who belong to that church. But the church also has been called then by God to grow as a church. And we must connect to a church and commit to a church so that together we invest what God has entrusted to us for the development of the building up of the body of Christ. It's not all about us as individuals, but it's all about us as the body. And it's here where he talks about the body building of the church, the master plan that God has to build up the body, not the individuals, but the body of Christ. And you have been connected here intentionally by God so that God through you, as you grow spiritually, will build up the body called Emmanuel Baptist Church. And so let's take a look at the text in Ephesians chapter 4. Notice what he says. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That's the goal. That's the objective, to build up the body of Christ. Until when? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ." from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, making the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. God, thank you for the joy that's ours to stand in honor of your word today. It is holy. It is divinely inspired through the penmanship of this incredible disciple named Paul. He was a disciple maker. And I pray that you would use these words to help build us up, not just individually, but build us up corporately. For you have called us, you have placed us, you have grafted us into the body of Christ for the purpose of utilizing the spiritual giftedness that you've given us, not to build up ourselves, 
but to invest in those who belong to the body so that as stewards we are investing that for the building up of others, especially pertaining to the body of Christ. Build up the body called Emmanuel Baptist Church. As you connect members who have been gifted and grafted into this body for your edification and for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. I want us to understand as we start something very, very important here. It's important for us to understand right off the bat that discipleship is not a call to individuality. Discipleship is a call to community. Let me say that again. Discipleship is not a call to individuality. It is a call to community. You'll never find in the Bible where we are called for our own individual edification, but we are always called as disciples for the edification and for the building up of the body, especially throughout the penmanship of the Apostle Paul inspired of the Spirit in the letter that he wrote to the Ephesian church. Over and over again, he talks about the corporate body of believers, mainly the church, the body of Christ. In other words, we have seen how these gifts have been entrusted to men for the sole purpose of building up the body, not themselves and not individuals, but the body. It is a plural thing. It is the body that is to be built up. It is the church that needs to be built up. Yes, God does use individuals to build up the body, and yes, individuals must grow and develop and mature, but we are not growing and developing for our own edification and for our own upbuilding, but we are growing for the building up of the body, the members, the church that we are connected to through Christ. That's what we are called to do. So we are not called as disciples for individuality, but community. Now, this sort of goes against the strain in our culture today because time and time again, we hear in our culture that it's all about me. It's about the individual and that we are to overlook the corporate or the, 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 the unified impact that our lives make and that we are not to give of ourselves for the benefit or the blessing or the good of the whole. And that's not discipleship. For discipleship is not a call to individuality, but a call to community. Secondly, I want us to notice in an introductory that every believer has been entrusted with a spiritual gift. Now, I don't know what your spiritual gift is, but if you're a believer, if you've been baptized in the Spirit and you've been grafted into the body of Christ and you're a member of the church of the body of Christ, you're a part of the body, you have been entrusted with a spiritual gift. So I ask you, what is your spiritual gift? What is your talent? What is it that God has entrusted to you in the form of resources so that you not utilize those resources for your own edification, for your own building, for your own enjoyment, but you have been entrusted with those gifts to fulfill the divine purpose that God has grafted you into the body called Emmanuel so that you can use those spiritual gifts for the upbuilding of the entire body, the whole body of Christ. And yet today I find in most circles today there is an individuality that almost is a secular, uh, sort of a secular influence, may I say, a secular influence on how we then deal with each other in regard to the body. It's always a what about me and what's in it for me and, and how am I benefiting from that and what am I getting out of it rather than how am I investing what God has entrusted to me for the edification and the building up of the body of Christ. And the emphasis seems to be in many modern churches today, the emphasis is all about me and not about us. But that's not what discipleship is all about. 
And if God did entrust with us these gifts, he intends for us to use these gifts for the primary goal, the sole purpose of building up the body of Christ. So God has endowed with you a living trust as a steward of something that belongs to him that he gave you for a time to use it to invest in the edification or the building up of the whole body. So that's why you have what you have. That's why you've been entrusted with what you have. And one day, as a steward of what belongs to God, it may be in your use today, but at some point you will stand before God and give an account of your investment to him. And we see then this this aspect of, as a member of the body of Christ, I have been called for the sole goal and the purpose of building up the body. And the question that I have is, how long will it take for this body to be built up? remember one time years ago, there was a joke, and, and I actually heard someone say this in a church. If you're a Southern Baptist, you've been one for a long time, we had a thing called the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. And I literally asked, I remember someone literally asking me, when do we ever get Lottie Moon paid off? And that, that's a kind of a Southern Baptist joke. When do we ever get this mission giving paid off? We continually give toward missions. Some of you are asking that about our building campaign. Some of us have been members of this church for decades, and we have been giving toward a building campaign for decades. Well, I'm here to tell you that we're about five to six years short of getting totally out of debt, and when that happens, we're going to pay off the note, and we will never get into financial debt and owe money to a bank. It's not good stewardship of money. So how long do we equip, or how long are we to be involved in this sole goal or this purpose of building up the body of Christ? Notice he says, until we all attain. Until we all attain. It's not about me until I attain spiritual maturity, but it's not until we all attain what is about to follow. And so the Apostle Paul is calling this church and us today in our church to invest what he has given to us so that we can use that for the building up of the body of Christ, to invest it in each other for the purpose and the sole purpose of edifying and glorifying the Lord. So let's take a look at how we build the body of Christ. Now, very quickly, I have, and I know we've got the children here today. In my head, I really like the children. This was something Wendy decided to do. Once a month, bring the children in to join us so that we can worship as families. And I think sometimes I look back on the the years when I got pinched (laughs) in church uh, my legs sometimes were black and blue <laughs> because when I was a kid, you had to sit there, you know, and you couldn't say anything or do anything. Today we color and we do other things. I get it. You know, we multitask and kids multitask and I was ADD way before there was ADD. So I had a hard time sitting still. And so that's why God called me to preach. I'd rather stand up and holler than sit still and be quiet. So that's why I'm here up, up here and you're down there. But long story short, I'm glad that families are together today. And I encourage families to sit together so that we can teach our children to worship because they learn as we model for them how to worship and if they're always down in a little small area in a in in a very you know they come not to say that we don't have fun up here (laughs) but you know what I'm talking about it's good to have them with the adults and for us as adults to model worship And so I want us to talk about how we can build up the body of Christ. In order for us to do that, there are seven things, and we're going to roll through these very quickly. I'm well aware of the time. We're going to do this in three minutes. Are you ready? 
No, we're not. But anyway, number one, to build the body of Christ, we must first of all strive for the unity of the faith. We must strive for the unity of the faith. I want you to notice the text. It says in verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, until we all attain, we've dealt with that already. Our goal is to be unified, to build up the body of Christ until when? Until we all then attain the unity of the faith. The word unity is a beautiful word. It simply means that we are to be together. We are to be one. We have been for the past several months now talking about the power of one, to be a unified Church, where we are one body, one heart, one Lord, one baptism, one faith. We've, we've identified what it means to be one, to be united, but he's talking about now a united faith. So we are then to use what God has entrusted to us for the edification of the building of the body of Christ until we are then united in faith. He's not talking about faith in regard to salvation here. I think he's talking about faith in regard to the gospel. What unites us as a church is the gospel. And what builds us up as a church and as individuals is the gospel. And many churches today have gotten away from the gospel. And the gospel is centric to all that we're doing. I remember a guy one time, he had, he had spent his life in this church. And the church is called Sunny Glen Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. And this guy had been there for decades. And at some point in his leadership, the church decided they wanted a new pastor. And the reason they gave for wanting a new pastor is because all he preached was the gospel. And we wanted deeper things than that. Well, I'm here to tell you there's nothing deeper than the gospel. There's nothing that helps us grow in Christ more than the gospel. The gospel is, is more than just a, a story about a a man who left heaven and was born of a virgin and who lived a sinless life and that died on a cross for sins that he didn't commit, who was buried in a tomb and rose from the dead, that's not all the content of the gospel. There's this whole theological doctrinal study about the, all of the implications of the gospel like redemption and justification and sanctification and substitutionary atonement and eternal security and all of these wonderful deep doctrines of the faith that are all centered in the gospel. And it's the gospel that we stand on. It's the gospel that connected us as members of the body of Christ and that grafted us in this beautiful thing called the family of God. And it's the gospel then that continues to permeate and to inflict itself into our lives so that we as individuals and as the body are built up in him. And no wonder we have shallow churches across the nation today. Because they've gotten away from the impact of the gospel. And it's the gospel that connects us and that builds us up. Not only do we see that we must strive to unify in the gospel, but notice secondly, to build the body, we must secondly secure the knowledge, to secure the knowledge of Christ. Well, you scratch your head and you wonder what that is. And, and, and I will say that I, I was a little bit, this is probably, doesn't seem it to you, but this is one of the most difficult passages that I have tried to, to study lately. Because it seems that, that uh, as I did the word study here and they began to look for commentators to find out what they thought, it's amazing, and, and some of you are scholars, and, or at least you pretend like I am to be a scholar and you try to study the word, that there's a lot of these guys that skip over a lot of this stuff. <laughs> Uh, some of these complicated things. And uh, I finally came across a scholar who actually said, or a student of the Bible, who actually said, and he's a well-respected guy, he said, I don't fully understand this, and I'm going to try to explain it, so give it your best shot. 
so to speak. And uh, so I had a hard time with this this week. And it didn't really sort of become concrete until really last night. And so we take a look at the text, and what is the knowledge of Christ? Well, the knowledge of Christ, the word knowledge here is a word that transcends this kind of knowledge. It's more of a personal knowledge. It's a knowledge that is experiential. It is a knowledge that transcends more than just facts. It's a knowledge in which we are fellowshipping with Christ and that we are learning about him personally. In other words, it is that day-to-day walk with Jesus where I am getting to know him on a personal level. That's what it means, to know him on a personal level. And I've already talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and, and I'll just, just very quickly, we know who our president is. We could pick him out in a lineup. If we heard his voice, we would know that that is the president. But most of us in this room have never had an intimate conversation with him. And the sad reality is that there are many in the faith who are just like that. They heard his call, they placed their faith and trust in him as their savior, and they've committed him the leadership and the lordship of their lives, but they don't walk with him on a day-to-day basis. They have never journeyed into that relational aspect where we are called to know him on a personal level. And the only time we bring our Bibles to church is when we pick it up off the coffee table, and it's never read at any other time during the week. How can you grow and mature and develop as a disciple if that's your relationship with Christ? And many have, have, have tried to give us some statistics in regard to the fact that 80 plus percent of the people that attend church never read their Bible on a day-to-day basis. Not to mention the percentage on praying. So how do you get to know and how do you grow without entering into an intimate relationship and fellowship with Christ? And as I thought about how this unifies us, what unifies us is our fellowship with Christ. But when we come to church, our relationship with Christ should always be centric to everything that we do. There are times in churches, and, and while it's good for us to love our friends and love to come to church to hang out with our friends and to fellowship and to break bread together and do those things and to sit around and, you know, you know me and I know you, we really, that's not the real reason why we gather together. We gather together in small group and large group in order to enhance your intimate day-to-day walk with Christ. Christ is centric. And in most churches, they spend more time rather than in the vertical, they spend more time in the horizontal. The people to people, the husband to wife, the husband to the child, or the, the child to the parents, or co-workers, and, and, and it's all about a horizontal thing rather than a vertical thing. And when you come to church, what builds up this body is when this church elevates Christ. And that your relationship with him as a body is centric to what our community is all about. And in many circles, Christ is rarely mentioned in some of our modern churches today. But it's all about Jesus as we elevate him. And as we gather together, we are then to find then a deeper community with Jesus. So to build the body of Christ, we must strive to unite 
the unity of the faith, secure the knowledge of Christ. Thirdly, we must strategically move toward maturity. There is a strategy about moving toward maturity. There is a process and a plan in which the church must somehow gather together to help move its members and its body and its church into the spiritual development that God and Christ, I think, intended for it to have. Notice verse 13, it says, until we all attain to the mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. Until we all attain, there again, that even though that's in the earlier part of the sentence, that until we all attain is going to apply not only to the last section that we talked about and to the last two, it's going to also apply to this one as well. Until we all attain to the mature manhood. Now, what would we define to be a mature man? Well, many of us would have different definitions, but he's not talking about physical maturity. He's not talking about age. He's talking about spiritual maturity. And the root of the word here is the word perfection, to be perfect. Anybody in here perfect? I saw that hand over there. Melissa, Mark, Lisa, is she perfect? Daniel, you're about to marry her. Is she perfect? So she lied. Okay, bring her up here. Let's stone her right now. Yeah. Only Melissa would raise her hand to some kind of question like that. There's always a delusional person among us. Yeah. I thought she was the only mean daughter they had, but I've learned there's another one in the family that's equal to her, of whom I will not mention. But anyway, Paul understood that perfection was unattainable. It's sort of an elusive goal, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't perfection elusive? I mean, it's something we chase after. It's something we desire. It's something that we want. And even though we attain for it and we work for it and we try to do everything we can to, to, to become perfect, to be like Christ, to be perfect in every way, we know that perfection is unattainable. And the sad reality is that some of us have realized that and we've gotten disillusioned. And it's what causes some people to throw in the towel and to quit. Well, if I can't be perfect, then what's the use? I'm not going to church anymore because it doesn't seem to work. Well, try saying that to your stomach when you're going to have lunch. You know, I eat lunch in a little bit, and I, and I go about my way, but it's interesting I get hungry again. You're not going to skip lunch, are you? Well, did lunch do you good because it didn't satisfy your hunger forever? You see, the analogy there, I think, is sometimes that even though we strive for perfection, it's not really attainable, and there's still a hunger and a desire for that, for that, for that perfection to become reality in our lives, but, but we know that it's elusive. We know that we cannot attain it, and so we give up, we get discouraged, we get frustrated and quit, but Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verse 15, understands that there's no way in the world that he had ever attained perfection, and I don't know about you, but I would never put my, my life equal to that of the apostle Paul, who wrote almost half if not more than half of the New Testament. And as a result of that, he did not claim to be perfect. So who am I then to even equal his effort to claim that I have become perfect? I am not perfect. You don't have a perfect pastor. If that doesn't surprise you, it should. And I've never claimed perfection. But yet we're supposed to strive for perfection. We are supposed to strive for spiritual maturity. We are supposed to get to a place where you can say, you know what, I'm mature now in my faith. 
As if there was a point in time in which we could arrive at a certain place and finally realize, hey, I'm, I'm as grown as I'm ever going to be. There's never that point in your life. I don't care how old you are, how long you've been in the faith, how many scriptures you've memorized, and how many studies you have done. You will never be fully perfect in, in, in every way. It's just not going to be reality. And yet he says that we are to strive until Everyone reaches spiritual maturity or perfection. What is the standard? It talks about the measure in that text. The measure, the standard. What is the standard? Well, when I find that perfection is elusive and I begin to look in the mirror, I begin to realize there's no way in the world that I can be perfect. So then I begin to look for comparisons that I can see. And so I look at Gail over there and I think, you know, as I evaluate his life, I think, you know what, in comparison to Gail, I'm doing pretty good. Our associate pastor to small groups and, and missions. But that's not the comparison. Because even though I may claim to see his flaws, I don't see his heart. And I'm not God. And so the comparison then is, if you look at the text, it's Christ. He's the standard. He's the measurement by which I evaluate my life. And as I evaluate my life and compare it to him, I am supposed to not only enter into a fellowship with him, but I am to progressively move. What it means to be mature is to move in the likeness of Jesus. I am to be developed into the likeness of Christ. I am to emulate his characteristics. I am then to implement all of those standards and those qualities that he has. They are to reflect themselves in my life and through my life. And so the standard by which I measure my, my progress is I elevate Jesus and I move toward that standard. And until I am completely like Christ, which is, by the way, a, a, a task that is never completed until he either calls you home through death or Jesus returns and you're, you're raised together with him in the clouds and forever with the Lord. I mean, until that happens, you're, you're never going to look completely like Jesus. And yet we are called as individuals and as a church to reflect the qualities, the nature, and the standard, and the characteristics of Christ, to become like Christ. And as we elevate the standard called Jesus as our example, then together we build up the body of Christ. Notice number four, we must then stretch beyond the superficial. Scratch beyond the superficial. I like the word scratch, but I put the word stretch. Whichever one you want to place there works good for you. Stretch or scratch, either one, to scratch beyond the superficial, to stretch beyond the superficial, to go beyond where you are. And there are some who call this doctrinal concepts, and I believe that's true because our doctrine does elevate and build up the body of Christ. But you look at the text in verse 15, 14, it says, so that we may no longer be children. So that we may no longer be children. Why does he compare maturity to childhood? Because children are defenseless. Children are trusting when they should not be trusting. Children do not recognize evil when it's standing in front of them. That's why we have laws to protect children. Because children are gullible. Children do not have the experience. Children do not have the discerning qualities that are necessary to see evil when it's before them. And they are very gullible. That's why some of the people who, uh, who, who, who take advantage of children will offer them candy. And they will come toward the candy when there is harm intended through and after the candy. They're gullible. 
And he's saying here that we, as Christ followers, must become mature so that we not react gullible. So innocent that we don't see the dangers that are there. To react with discernment and with knowledge and with the ability to see what is before us even when it's disguised. But notice that he says, so that we may no longer be children. Notice how he says, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by cunning and craftiness in deceitful schemes. Talks about the waves that toss us about. See, seemed to me to talk about that if you're a, a ship out at sea and the waves come, you have no control. You're at the mercy of the waves, and wherever they go, they, they will toss you to and fro. We know about wind in Wichita. I mean, you can wake up and it's coming from the south, and by the middle of the day, it's coming from the east, and by the end of the day, it's coming from the north. Right? And you try to keep your hair in one place, ladies, but it doesn't stay there. That's all right. The ruffled look is in style, so don't worry about it. Just get up and do this and go out and you'll be fine. But it's talking about a ship that's at its sail that's at the mercy of the winds. In other words, it, it's, it's a person that, that moves from here and they're here for a while and now they're over here. And then they hear another thing and they're over here. And before you know it, they're over here. And then they're back over here again and they're being thrown about. It depends on who they're listening to and, and what it, they have no stability. They're just meandering around out of control by what? By every wind of doctrine. Here's this teaching over here, and I was on this channel. I heard this guy say that, and man, amen, praise God, that's what I'm going to do. And I set off, and then all of a sudden I hear somebody, and then I'm over here. And, and then I'm over here, and then I come to Emmanuel, and I hear, no, I'm over here. And, and we're just kind of, we're just, we're at the mercy of, of every wind of doctrine. There's no discernment. There's no stability. There's no direction. It's just whoever we heard last is the person that, that we're standing on. And the sad reality is that most believers today don't know what they believe and why they believe it. We have a, a church today that is filled with uneducated, unintelligent people who do not understand the doctrines that are necessary to live a discerning, stable life. And it depends on what the latest book is. I mean, there's a book coming out and there's a movie coming out about a, a little fellow who died and went to heaven. You know what I'm talking about? And you'll probably go watch the movie and maybe so will I. Um, I don't need a little boy to come back from heaven and tell me that heaven's real. I got a Bible right here who says that. And half the things that he says are true are not spoken in here. So is his experience greater than what this says? What's our standard? What standard do we measure truth by? What? Well, the Bible. I don't care what your experience is, dude, if, if it's not in the Bible. And, and there are many believers today who have no discerning ability whatsoever. None. We are a gullible church today that just moves around. Uh, we have people that move from church to church to church and have no concept of their theology whatsoever. We give it no regard, no concern. If a church is a 
calls itself a Christian church, but it doesn't believe in eternal security, that's okay with us. I say, no, it's not. Or a church over here that doesn't believe the inerrancy and the infallibility of the Word of God, it's all right, but they're... No, that's not okay. Or if this church over here, we have some in, in Wichita who claim that homosexuality is okay in the standard and the rightness of God. And I would say, no, it's not. How do I know that? Because I'm well grounded in the word. And we have a group of people that, I mean, we have pastors in the pulpits today who are claiming things that are, that are not in this book. And people are just buying into it, hook, line, and sinker, without any discernment at all. And what that does is that brings down the body. It doesn't build up the body. We're trying to teach some theology on Sunday night in Discipleship University. You need to know what you know and to believe in what is in this book and understand what the, what the groundwork is of your, of your, to have sound doctrinal concepts so that when you know you hear some preacher on some TV or even me say something that's totally unlegitimate and totally off key, you come and say, hey, pastor, I've been studying the word and would you show me what we're talking about here? Because we need to be careful today. And I'm convinced that we live in an era today where the church is more gullible than any other time in history. And it's, 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 it's what is being built up, I believe, for the eventual coming of the Antichrist. It's going to pave the way for end times. I'll get off that horse here in a minute. Notice the human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes. You believe there's people that are intentionally trying to trick you? Yeah, you got to sow a seed of faith, brother, sow a seed of faith, sow a seed of faith. That is such hogwash. All they're trying to do is get your money. Doctrinally inaccurate as they try to, to use things. They are crafty. The idea here is that they are cunning. It's the idea, the word here uh, for craftiness is a word for dice. The idea and the intention here is, is like, ever been to one of those places where they have those, those little tables out and they have three shells and they have a little pen, a little pee, and they're doing this kind of thing right here? You know what I'm saying? What are they doing? You put your money up there and you try to guess which one it is and you're, it's a gambling thing? Do they want you to find the pee? They don't, do they? Why? They're trying to take your money. And if you're one of these people that go to a gambling casino and think you're going to go there to win, you need to wake up. How do they pay their bills? How do they keep the lights on? How do they pay those employees? How do they keep up with all that building maintenance that they got? Believe me, I know what a building program's like. With your money. And they have somehow tricked us to believing that if I take my $5 and walk in there, I can come out with $5 million. Well, <laughs> is that foolishness? Well, I know somebody who came in, they won. How many losers are there? And how many people that won wind up keeping the money? We live in a very gullible society. We live in a culture that are filled with human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. And it's interesting the word deceit is a word that's also used in Ephesians 6 that talks about demonic activity. And if you don't believe there's demonic activity out there to deceive even the elect, we must wake up and use discernment and recognize and realize that as we grow deeper in the doctrines and the understanding of our faith, that we then are actually strengthening ourselves from being used and so we must dig deeper 
And whether you belong to this church or any other church, you need to belong to a church that digs deep into the Word of God. Don't be, don't be a part of a church that's, that's, that's shallow. Because it's not only not going to benefit you, but it's not going to benefit the body of Christ. Number five, we need to speak the truth in love. That builds up the body of Christ, to speak the truth in love. He says, rather, it's interesting that earlier he says in Ephesians 4 that we are to walk in a way that is worthy of our calling. So he's saying here, hey, those of us who are part of the body of Christ, there's a different way that we ought to walk. We don't walk that the world walks. We're not here human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful things. Rather, those of us who are in faith are to speak the truth in love. The word speak means to share, to tell, or to hold up the truth. The word truth means to be consistent with fact and with what is true. To speak the truth. To speak the truth. To know what the truth is and to speak the truth. It's not about perception. It's not about what I think. You know, the sad reality is there are a lot of churches today when they get into a small group Bible study, they open the Bible and read a text and say, well, what does that say to you? Well, it says this to me. What does it say to you? Well, it says this to me. And so you have conflicting things about what it says. Is that truth? What did it say to the people that was intended to be written to? Then you take that interpretation and you draw an application. It's not up to whoever decides. We have this political opinion poll sometimes in Bible studies or even sometimes when we study the Bible. That doesn't necessarily make it true. So it needs to be truth. It needs to be fact. And we're to hold up the truth. And as we hold up the truth, it says we're to do it in love. To do it in love. The word love here is agape. And what he's inferring here is that when we hold up the truth, that we do it in love. I think what he's saying here is, if we're going to build up the body of Christ, we need to do away with all dysfunction. Did you know that there are a lot of churches that have a lot of spiritual dysfunction? And the reason why it has a lot of spiritual dysfunction is because no one in the church will stand up and hold up the truth and, and, and call truth truth and wrong wrong. And a brother and sister that's living in sin, you should go to them in love and speak the truth. Why? Because one rotting apple inside of the cart of apples will do what to the whole cart? It will rot the whole cart. Now, I'm not, the analogy, don't stretch it too far. And I'm not saying that if you're in sin, you're a rotting apple and you ought to be, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that. It's just, just, a, just an analogy here. Don't stretch it too far. But I think you get what I'm trying to say, that that a a little bit of disease will infect the whole body if it's not dealt with properly. And as a church, if we hope to build up the whole church, we must go and we must make sure that we speak the truth in love and deal with the dysfunction and to deal with the sin and to deal with the shortcomings or to deal with whatever apathy is there so that the whole body itself, not so that we can let them have it, or so I can prove my case, or I can let them feel like the rotten sinner that they should feel like. And if anyone in this church ever comes to you and says, hey, and they put their arm around you, make sure that, that it's done in love. Hey, brother, I love you. Hey, sis, I love you. And because I love you, I want to tell you that what you're doing is bringing down the whole body. 
Because every one of us in the call that we have to walk worthy of the manner by which we are called, it, we are individually important as we build up the body on how we individually live. Number six, we need to seize every opportunity. To build up the body of Christ, we must seize every opportunity. I think it's interesting in this text, he says, as he begins on in verse 15, he says, we are to grow up in every way into him. I looked at all that. That's a lot to be said in one small verse. We, meaning those of us who are in Christ, are to. That word are to here means that it's not optional. We are to. Whether we feel like it or not, we are to. We must. It's a form of a command. It's not for vote. It's not democratic. It's dependent and determined by God. That we are to what? We are to grow up. Well, I don't want to grow. That's not an option. Well, I want to, I want to stay baby Christian. I just want to stay baby because I want everybody to tend to my needs. Because I got needs and everybody needs to tend to my needs. And if I grow up, I'm going to have to serve and I'm going to have to give and I'm going to have to work and I'm going to have to give of myself for the benefit of others. And I just don't want to do that. And I don't know about you, but not one of my children stayed small. They've all grown up. All of them now are married, praise God, to godly spouses who love the Lord. Two of my children, oldest, have children of their own. One has four and one has three. Now they're parents. That's the greatest revenge of any parent. Seriously. <laughs> it's your turn now. And we were I, we were uh, I chatting with Amy last night with uh, little Meredith on the on the on the I chat and she has got an imagination that's unequal to none. She's four years old and she is off the chart and she never stops talking and she never stops moving and it's wonderful because my daughter was a quiet, you know, kind of kind of an introvert, kind of like my wife, but her daughter is just out there, and I just laughed when I watched my daughter's eyes roll at her four-year-old. You know, children don't stay little as much as we'd like them to. And I can't tell my children, I can't tell you how many times I've told my children, you know, I'd like to get a brick and put it on your head and keep you from growing. They just naturally grow. It is unnatural for a believer to not grow. And if you're not growing, you're not natural. He says, we are to grow up, look, it says, in every way. I scratch my head about that. In every way, Lord? In every way. Well, you know, there's some ways that I like, but there's some ways that I don't like. There's some that are enjoyable, and there's some that are painful, and I want to choose only the enjoyable ones. And he says, no, sometimes growth is painful. Well, I don't want the painful. But some of the greatest lessons that I've learned and you've learned and we've learned have been through the difficult times in life. And you grow through pain, you grow through hardship, you grow through temptation, you grow through trials. It's a fact of life. Whether we like it or not, we're to embrace those as much as we are the great things that come our way. Isn't it great when God gives you something and you grow with all this? Well, this is great. I just, I mean, I'm like, nah, I don't want that. No, it's just in every, he says, in every way. It says, into him, into the incorporation of him, grafted into him, so that we can become one with him, and that so that he reflects himself through us. 
And we as a church and we as individuals must seize every opportunity that avails us to grow. Embrace them all. But the quickest you learn your lesson in the hard times, the shorter the journey is. Not always. For Paul prayed three times for the thorn in the side to be removed. And yet with three prayers, God says, no, I'm not going to remove the thorn. But instead he gave him what? Grace. Grace. And I'm convinced that thorn made him the man of God that enabled him to write the words that we read today. And through that, God grew him to reflect the character, the nature, and the image of Christ. Even Jesus, before he was crucified, said, Lord, let this cup pass from me. And Jesus said, I don't want to do this. And God said, no, son, that's my will. And aren't you glad he went to the cross? And lastly, we need to submit responsibly. I'll close with this. Number seven, submit responsibly. There's a submission that unless you submit to the leadership and the lordship of Christ, you cannot grow. Rebellious, defiant, disobedient children cannot grow in Christ. It it won't happen. You can't mature and stay rebellious. He says, into him who is the head, into Christ. Jesus has already been spoken of in Ephesians 1.22 and 5.23 as being the Lord of lords and the King of kings. He rose from the dead and he's ascended to the heaven at the right hand of the Father and now he's there, Lord of lords and King of kings and his fullness is, is, is enveloping over all the earth and because of who he is as our Savior and as the risen Lord on the throne as God, he is Lord and we must submit to his leadership and his lordship if we are ever to grow. Say no to him, and you've hindered your growth. Say yes to him, and you move forward in growth. I got one more problem that I think will help spell it all. Uh, The sad reality is that I think there are many of us who want to stay here. I brought it over here from the CLC, and there were some Cheerios in here. I th- thought about eating them till I thought I didn't know how long they'd been there and whose mouth they'd been in. Can I fit in this chair? No, I'm not going to let you see me try, no. I want what I want. I don't like to eat that. I've got a poopy diaper, change me. Children see themselves at the center of the universe. They are the center of the universe. And but if you don't do what they want, you're gonna hear about it. And the longer you don't do what they want, the louder they get. Happens to every child. I think there was a church in Ephesus that needed to grow up. Life wasn't easy where they were. And there were some probably that were not wanting to grow up. And they were wanting to stay in the high chair. And there are 
sadly to say, some individuals who never physically or mentally or emotionally grow up, and they're faced to live with that their whole lives. That's, that's a sad reality, but it's abnormal. For the natural development of a human being is to mature physically, mentally, and emotionally. The natural progression for a believer is to get out of the high chair and to grow up. For when we individually grow up, we build up the body of Christ. And my decision to grow is not for my own benefit, but my decision to grow up is always for the benefit of the body. Because mature people are selfless. Mature people are not self-centered. Mature people are not ego-driven. Mature people are not demanding of their own way and their own likes and their own dislikes. Paul learned that lesson. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. See, maturity leads to death, and it leads to the benefit of the common good, which is the whole body. So let's do what I'm going to ask you to do with this final question. Bring it up on the screen. We must all connect. We must all commit to God's bodybuilding program because that's why we're here. Let's pray. We get to once again celebrate the ordinance of baptism where we celebrate a changed life. This morning we have Buffy coming. And if you're part of Buffy's family or life group and you're here to support her this morning, would you stand up? If you ask Jesus to come into your heart to be your Savior and your boss, and is it your desire to be marked as one of his followers through this ordinance of baptism today? Yeah. Buffy, because of that decision and because of your profession of faith, it's my privilege to get to baptize you this morning in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're buried with Christ in baptism, and we're raised to walk in newness of life.